The reading of the scriptures from Psalm 5, I invite your uh, reverent attention to the public reading of God's word as we read Psalm 5. To the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their innermost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord, and you cover him with favor as with a shield. The word of the Lord. Remember when I was uh, three years old, I was shocked that Winston Churchill did not uh, get voted in to be prime minister again. Um, obviously facetious, but the event itself is true. Uh, and I've thought about that a lot because you think about Churchill and all that he meant to uh, the nation and really Western civilization, uh, keeping it on track and certainly uh, something of an author of uh, great, great uh, victory. I think it was Time Magazine that at one point uh, named him the, uh, the man of the century. And yet, England turned him out. And if you think about that, uh, I mean, you understand, people get tired of hearing about war and the weariness of it and buckle down and buck up buckaroos and one more college try for the ages. It's just at some point, people need a respite from constant weariness of, of a war footing. And so I understand why they turned him out. Uh, but for us, um, there's a measure of bad news. The war continues. There's good news in that, but the war continues. I want to remind you of a very important verse. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Uh, it's a great battle uh, going on. It uh, breaks out in heaven. Uh, Satan is thrown down to the earth and uh, begins to try to uh, destroy um, uh, the incarnate Son of God. And he is raised to heaven where he cannot be destroyed. 
so he begins to uh, make war with uh, the Messianic community that uh, receives uh, uh, the message from uh, Christ the King. Uh, God uh, helps uh, the Messianic community, and it describes that help uh, by rescuing uh, the woman from the flood. Imagine a flood, a flood of deception, and yet God God rescues uh, the Messianic community from the flood of deception. And then the war footing. Look at verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with you and me. It's unrelenting. Continuous, unabated, constant warfare. That in a measure is what uh, David uh, is facing. Um, And it's important to recognize that that war will not end this side of eternity and that we must respond to it properly because uh, the cost is eternal. Good news is, is, as is always the case, God always has an answer and a provision in Himself. If you recognize the danger of the war footing, you, you rejoice in the provision of God. And that's important for the literary connection of the psalm because we know it properly as an individual lament. A lament essentially is a complaint. David is going to complain. We're going to listen to his complaint. I think it's interesting that he writes this psalm to be given to the choir director at his church. A complaint? Who does that? David does. Not only is it for the chief musician, it's to be accompanied by a stringed instrument. This was to be sung by God's people in the church. And we, in a measure, will, uh, by God's grace, sing it today. Uh, the lament of, uh, of the psalm is David is in distress over profound danger. And uh, so he prays for help. And he receives the assurance that God is going to help him. So what is the provision of God in this unrelenting warfare that you and I face? Well, first is, of course, a prayer. Verses 1 to 3, the psalmist prays for help from his God and King. So in this time of distress, uh, he prays for help. Not unlike you and me. We should pray every day. It's interesting to me that this prayer is in the morning at the start of the day. Reflecting what? The threat of the day. The dangers of the day. Before he even goes out of the door of his palace, or you and I, our homes, he entreats God for provision because he knows the dangers of the day. He says, God, listen to my request and consider my murmurings. Uh, I think one of the best Hebrew exegetes in our country today is a gentleman by the name of Alan Ross. I had the privilege of studying under him. Uh, he, he says sighings. 
So, so David, if you will, is burdened down. We sign. Um, I take it that the threat is so overwhelming that he mumbles, reflecting his distress. Oftentimes when I'm in distress, I mumble. <laughs> Those who live with me in my home saying, what are you mumbling about now, Bowersocks? I've always troubled over, more often than not, tiny things. But, but I understand mumbling. You get troubled, it just, it just won't leave you alone. It taps you on the shoulder. and I don't know how you respond, but sometimes I, I mumble. Uh, David is sighing. But it invokes in me one of the great texts of Scripture, namely Romans 8.26, that the Spirit of God prays for us with moanings too deep for words. It's a figure of speech uh, acknowledging the intensity of the Spirit of God praying that the Father would protect us in light of this unrelenting warfare. Think about that as a provision. We pray, but we have one who prays incessantly and relentingly that God the Father would grant us his protection. David says, attend or act on my prayers. And I love the prepositional phrase, to you. He repairs to no other mediator. Love the Protestant faith. We respect and we honor deeply the disciple Mary. We don't pray to her. She's not enough of a help. We don't go to a human priest. I understand sometimes people say, Bowsock, would you pray for me? And certainly I do all the time. People in our church, I'm, I get that. And I'm in like manner, I'm saying, well, now that uh, you have asked me for withdrawal, here's my deposit to you. You, you pray for me. Because we understand that life is a tenuous event and we trust God and we need the prayers of the saints and David is teaching us to pray at the very start of the day. He repairs to no other mediator than his sovereign king. And then he uses one of the great names of God, Elohim. Now if you know this in the, in the Hebrew, uh, the way you pluralize a text is... Uh, the additions of im. It's a plural form. What in the world does that mean? Does that mean there's many gods? No, it's just in the Hebrew, it's the plural of majesty. God is so majestic, the word Elohim is put in the plural form. It's the name of God used most often. God is creator. Now that's someone to prepare to, because God can create. He can create the times and the events of the times. And if he can create, he can rescue and cause the wicked who make war against us to stumble. And it's a prayer in which he presents his case and the expectation. That's his faith bringing up. David's going to give us this long complaint, but eventually he has an expectation that God's going to hear his prayer. You and I should do the same. It's, Nothing at all wrong with complaining. It's what you do with those complaints that may be a spiritual threat to you. 
but recognize that David eventually in this lament will turn uh, to the acknowledgement of what God is to him. So prayer is a provision. There's the awareness of danger in his prayer. Uh, and then there's the provision. Uh, first provision is prayer. The second one is very instructive. It's one I suspect that we do not think a great deal about. David's going to go to, go to, go to church. Somebody said, oh, I fell it. No, you had to get that in. No, that's what David's going to do. I mean, he's going to go to church. Look at verse 7, last line. At thy holy temple, I will bow in reverence to you. He's going to go to church to do what? Hear the word of the Lord. Gain wisdom for the wickedness and evil of the day. Protection from the word of God. His expectation at church is because God has accepted his worship in contrast, verses 4 to 7, to the deceitful. And that begins to frame David's danger. He faced a lot of physical danger. Invasions from the Philistines and all the other Gentile kings around him. He's not praying for that. He's praying for deceit, most likely from his own countrymen. Uh, It begins by heaping scorn upon them. Very interesting. Uh, Have to be careful with it because we're to love our neighbor. We're to love those who sometimes are a danger to us, but I think it's very instructive to look at uh, a way that David responds. He says, God, you reject them. You have no pleasure in their wickedness. And they are not welcome in your house. They cannot stand in your presence, God. And the psalmist gives us reasons for this. First, they are arrogant. They presume that God does not know their hearts, hear their plots or their actions, But David said the eyes of God are upon them. Continually, perpetually. He sees everything that they do think. He even knows the words that come off of their tongues before they even utter the words of deception. Remember I was watching a program about different border protection agents all over the world that particularly work in airports where there's incredible smuggling activity. And, uh, I mean, they're trained to pick up on different cues and activities of human beings and uh, eventually tap them on the shoulder and say, come with me. Um, You're not trying to get anything illegal into this land, are you? Oh, no, of course not. On my way to visit uh, my grandmother and uh, taking her an apple pie that, uh, my daughter baked for me, and can I please hurry along my way? Some such nonsense. Always kind of humorous as I sit and listen. So, well, um, that, that's all well and good. Um, uh, by the way, we'd like to subject you to an x-ray. Really? There's not anything in your stomach. Is Oh, no. I mean, other than uh, bacon and eggs and hash browns and uh, bacon, you know, the good stuff. So, yeah, this, I don't have anything. I, I am as innocent as the driven snow, brother. Lo and behold, they're x-rayed and there's 
plastic containers filling their belly. I said, you've got to be kidding me. Of course, they have to take them to the hospital so a doctor can supervise their extraction. And we think God doesn't see us. I mean, we can build machines that can see incredible things in us. I've been through that x-ray machine and the MRI and the I don't know what all the initials stand for. It's just incredible. And we think, well, God doesn't know. Yes, He knows. He knows. And He knows the way of the wicked. And He sees. It's very interesting that the indictments that David is hurling against his enemies are uh, speech acts. Uh, If you look at uh, uh, Psalm 5, Verse 6, you destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. Notice the word deception. Verse 9, there's nothing at all reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. These are people who put and use words to trick someone for their ruin. You say, well, what's the deal? I mean, the Philistines got a propaganda machine. No, this is of his own countrymen. I read uh, the Friday Wall Street Journal uh, always has an article about worship, editorial page. Uh, The author says, you know, in the 1920s in the church, uh, in the great fundamentalist movement, we were fighting great issues like, was Christ the incarnate God-man? Did he really rise from the dead? We really believe in the virgin birth. Those were the issues in the 1920s. Great battles were going on and churches were splitting. Then he goes on saying, you know what we're fighting today? We're not fighting about those things. We're fighting this gender stuff in the church. Because it's come into the church. That's the point of deception. Falsehood. Arrogance. It's interesting that many churches uh, don't talk about the incarnation, the virgin birth, the resurrection. But we'll darn sure get it right on how fluid we can be when we remake ourselves. Uh, particularly dangerous in the spiritual realm with false teachers because of the consequences. Uh, Isaiah uh, 28 Uh, the man of God, the prophet, is inveighing against his own countrymen. He says, verse 15, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have made a pact. That's exactly the words of David. You people who are deceivers, who are turning words to trick people and lead them to ruin, you've made a pact, a covenant with death, and with hell itself. Ezekiel 13, they've misled my people saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. Exactly the point of David. David goes on with his invective. He said God God hates them. 
It's the ultimate rejection. The word hatred is the ultimate rejection. God abhors and loathes such men, describes as men of bloodshed caused by their deceit. The real danger of deceit is, is the soul. If you can trick a man spiritually to own his soul, you own him forever. That's the warfare of the dragon, flood of deception. In contrast, the psalmist will enter the house of God and worship him. David is accepted at worship. The deceiver, the trickster, rejected. The stated reason for David's ability to come into the church is God's grace. But as for me, by thy loving, abundant loving kindness, I will enter thy house. The word loving kindness, as you know, is very, very prominent in the Psalms, really throughout the Old Testament. Um, God's covenantal loyalty, that God is loyal to his own. In other words, the grace of God has been loyal to David to protect him. Just like God protected the Messianic woman in Revelation chapter 12, he protects his own all the time, every time, because of his loyalty to us from eternity past. Great application for us to be loyal to him, of course. Very, very prominent word. It's probably its most well-known place is Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy. The words mercy is God's covenantal loyalty. Will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, David says. Because of God's grace. So, in church, where David wants to go, there's a provision of God's grace. He's aware of danger. He prays, goes to church. It's in church that we learn about God's loyalty, God's faithfulness, power, His might, His majesty. And we learn truth for the needs of the day. Third provision, verses 8 to 10, David petitions God to lead him because of the danger of deception is so pronounced. When you're surrounded by lies that swirl about you like a flood and caught in a vortex of it, seemingly going to take you to the bottom, you cry out, God, you, you have to lead me. Surrounded by falsehood, who do we follow and what is the right way? So Psalmist prays, verse 8, Lord, lead me in thy righteousness because of my foes. Make thy way straight before me. Psalm 23.3. He leads me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. That's why David can walk in the path of righteousness because God is leading him. Connect verse 3 and 6. God is leading him and that God will get him to the end in His covenantal loyalty. Before Him and behind Him. All around Him. Only God can protect in such a way. My favorite text oftentimes reflect upon is uh, Psalm 73, 24. That will guide me with thy counsel. 
and afterwards receive me to glory. That's a provision in charged times. Illustrated in a number of places most beautifully in the scriptures. If you want to turn to Genesis 24, I'm just going to look at one, even though I'll mention some others very quickly. Abraham is about to die. He has an unmarried son. Puts his son at risk and danger. So he calls his servant and says, I want you to take a vow. I want you to vow that my son will not take a wife from the Canaanites. Application for us is we cannot marry outside the faith. Marry all types of people, but we cannot marry outside the faith. Uh, the Orthodox faith. That's exactly what Abraham is telling his servant. You cannot permit my son. In fact, I want you to go to my countrymen and my family and find a wife. What in the world is this guy going to do? I mean, go to a distant land and a family that he didn't even know, never even met. So he goes on a journey. Needs to have his livestock watered that's been with him. Comes across a young woman who helps him. Well, just by chance. Couldn't be her. So he, he, uh, he praises God. Genesis 24, 27. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth towards my master as for me. The Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brother. And lo and behold, Rebekah and Isaac become one. Because of God's leading. For the Christian, the Spirit of God dwells within us and leads us to glory. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. As many as are the sons of God, these are being led by the Spirit of God. God doesn't say, well, you'd have come to my son, the Lord Jesus. I hope you make it to the end. Work hard and you'll get there. What? No. The Lord does not permit us to wander self-directed. He grants His Spirit to lead us in the way, in the paths of righteousness. Just a shallowness of Arminian theology. Christ would die for us and purchase us with His own blood. And then say, well, it's on you now, buddy. No, he dispatches his spirit to lead him to guide. The promise of the gospel. John 14, 6. Jesus, I am the way and the truth. It's the truth, the shield to protect us. We go to church to hear the truth as a shield and protector. And the promise is so great because the danger is so pronounced. It's one thing to be tricked by a salesman to buy a shoddy product. Tricked by a hacker in giving up a password. Deceived by a professor about a ruinous way of life or a worthless degree. Or swayed by someone else with a false promise. 
The spiritual realm, the soul, is at stake. And hucksters are bound. They're everywhere in the church. And the most important possession of all of life is at stake, and the war rages. Remember Genesis, uh, uh, Revelation 12. Went off to make war with the rest of her offspring and those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. The church is making war. Uh, and this danger is, is pronounced, uh, David describes it in graphic terms. He says, there's nothing trustworthy in their mouth. Nothing firm, lasting, or stable. Their spiritual lives cause destruction because of their speech. Notice, notice, um, notice verse 9. There's nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Obviously, a figure of speech referencing deceitful, referencing a, 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 a tricker so that their throat speaks what will lead you to the grave. You and I know that this Paul, this text is cited by the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 3, of the, the total depravity of man. And now we learn that it's uh, breached uh, the church, David, everywhere in the New Testament, but uh, we some have time to go to a number of verses. Uh, but certainly, uh, to pick one, uh, before Paul uh, dies, he speaks to his young legatee and says, preach the word. Time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting their ears tickled, they will pursue teachers after their own desires. See, it's not just Psalm 5. It's not just David's church, the church of America today. People wanting to be tickled. And they flatter with tongues. It's a very important word. Literally, smooth words. They are the best. It's smoothing words to trick the soul. They sound great, but they deliver death and ruin. Uh, David uh, uses a particular reference in uh, Psalm uh, 55.21 of an arch enemy that was a friend of his, became a traitor. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. It's my theology that deception is an act of war, and that war is in the church. And David is reminding us of that war. And also the provision of God and prayer and going to church and in uh, God's leadership. Let's look at another reference to this in the words of a wise man. Proverbs chapter 2. 
Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 16. A lady of wisdom is speaking to a young man, giving him wisdom to deliver you from the strange woman. Let me retranslate that. To deliver you from the false teacher. From the adulteress who flatters with her words. So that words of wisdom are a protection. Young people are in desperate need for wisdom. And the scriptures are full of wisdom. Uh, one such place is Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 to 22. My son, my son whom I love, object of my affections, observe the commandments of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck, when you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you wake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. The scriptures are full. It's a great reminder to give attention to the Word of God where God leaves us a deposit of wisdom to protect us from the way of the deceiver. It's important to go like the psalmist to God's house to hear His Word. Because it's true, we hope at Grace Bible Church, and we pray to that end, and delivers from treachery and deception. David continues, as he has earlier part of the psalm, to heap invective on these men. Verse 10, hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. Throw them out, he is saying. And worse, banish them forever. That's why I kind of smile at the word progressive. Where about our socks? Even the dinosaurs at Grace Bible Church that keep talking about the Protestant Reformation. We've got the smooth words here. We're progressive. We're enlightened in our own age. Think of the words that David is saying about them. Where they're going that God will banish them from His presence forever. You begin to attempt, you think in your folly of your human wisdom, to change God's Word, that you can redefine yourself, and you can make the Creator a creature, and you can become your own God. The Word of God will come for you, banish you from His presence forever. The world without end. It's the end state of the deceiver. David says, let them fall. It is a beautiful reminder that God, we were once a member of those churches and hung with those people and ran with the young man. God gave us His Son. The riches of His grace in Jesus Christ to rescue Great illustration of the gospel and the provision of the Son. Uh, John chapter 10, verses 10 to 14. Thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life. 
might have it abundantly. Life without ending. Life now. A different kind of life, a qualitative life, as well as a quantitative life forever. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hireling and not the shepherd. He was not the owner of the sheep. Beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. But I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Greatest protection in all the world. Safety in God. And that's exactly how David ends. Notice he's turning from his harsh language, reminders of the constant unrelenting warfare, an awareness of the danger to begin to provoke us to think about the provisions of God that we have in the greatness of our God. Verses 11 and 12. In contrast to the world full of tricksters and hucksters, you and I have God. And let all who take refuge in thee be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And mayest thou shelter them. And those who love thy name will exalt thee. For it is in the Lord who does bless the righteous man, that thou dost surround him with favor as with a shield. The provision of all. The greatest of all. Important to pray. Important to go to church. Important to acknowledge you need God to lead you in the way of righteousness for His namesake. But ultimately, the greatest, most sublime of them all is God Himself. The ultimate protector. I mean, war is so violent. But God is so great. Psalm 2.12, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So we will sing for joy because God keeps His own. And the cause is the blessings of God. The greatness of the blessings of God. As well as the fact that God surrounds Him with protection, His favor like a shield. The Apostle Paul uses the imagery of fiery darts raining down upon us. I love those historical movies where the captain in the field says, archers loose the rain of arrows coming down upon God is our shield. We didn't have his protection. None of us would ever get out of this world alive. The protection of the soul, the greatest of all. God is our shield. Keeps us safe. I love uh, Psalm uh, 91, verse 4. It's my own personal conviction. Uh, I underscore the word personal. That it's a, a psalm written by a soldier who's in great danger. And he talks about terror by night and the arrow that flies by day and pestilence that stalks the ancient battlefield that his colleagues falling on his right and his left. Notice verse 4. 
He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. It's exactly the point of Martin Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Because that's what He is to us. That ultimately it's God's grace that keeps us safe. Gospel is the ultimate provision. So think of awareness of danger but the multiplicity of God's provisions and all that David has recited in prayer and going to church and ultimately the favor of God. So I get why they, uh, they didn't elect Winston Churchill to prime minister again. People do get weary of war. You and I cannot get weary of it because it is unrelenting. But so is the divine provision. As unrelenting are the darts that come, so is the unrelenting presence of the shield that protects us. It is a dangerous world. Certainly of deceivers. But God in His grace makes every provision for us and for safe passage to the end. Gives us His Word. But He gives us also the incarnate Word in Jesus Christ. To know Him is to know the only place of eternal safety. If you know not the Savior, May God give you no rest or peace until you find your eternal rest in Him. And for all of us who continue to struggle in the midst of this war-weary land, may our hearts like David be full of joy, acknowledging and recounting over and over again the multitude of the blessings of God that reign upon us to keep us safe in a weary land that, to be sure, will enable us to behold His glory and to be made like Him, for as He is, so we will be. And may our hearts rejoice in that just as loudly as we do in Christ our Savior and the greatness of His truth in Himself and in His Word.